You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, Jean. Hi, Hoda. It's so good to see you. So her money clearly is on a field trip this week. Yay! Yay! We are in the Sirius XM studios in Midtown Manhattan with, as if you couldn't tell already, Hoda Kotfi. Thank you so much for coming on, doing this with me. I'm thrilled. By the way, I've witnessed you change people's lives, even whether it's in phoners on my show or in person or in many different ways. So I'm thrilled to be next to you. Well, it's exciting for me, and it's exciting to be able to talk to you at a time when you're just going through so many things in your life that we don't necessarily think of as being financial, but they're all financial yeah. in, in one way <laughs> yes. or another. I mean, this is, when we think about Her Money as a show, we think about it as a show about life, but mm -hmm. money is the tool that allows all of these lives to happen. Sure. And so let's just break it down a little bit. This year, you turned 53. Mm -hmm. You adopted Haley mm. Joy. You moved in with Joel. Your boyfriend, I, what is happening? I mean, this is like a lot to pack into a short amount of time. I know there are all those, I guess a lot of things are stressors that they say if you have one of these or two of these or three of these in your lifetime in a certain period, it really gets you. I have to tell you, I've been waiting so long for all three of those things. In fact, when I brought Haley home, my mom arrived after we got her home and she looked at Haley and she said, oh, Miss Haley, we've waited so long for you. And I thought, that's the truth. Like wow. when you anticipate and wait and dream of and hope for there are obstacles, obviously, to moving in with your boyfriend, to having a child, to, you know, getting older, all those things. But for some reason, Jean, I feel like in this window of time for me, um, like I keep seeing the, the joyful parts of all of that. It's a lot, but to me, it's a lot that's awesome. I mean, I don't know that I could have, you know, if I compare my 40s to my 50s, my 40s were when everything was going wrong. And my 50s are when everything seems to be going right. Like, it's weird. In my 40s, I had a divorce, I had an illness, and I was in a job that I probably wasn't quite as suited for as I should have been. Mm -hmm. And in my 50s, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, I have a relationship that works. I have a baby. I have a job that feels like it fits like a glove. Isn't that the best? I mean, I'm 52. And, and I feel my 40th year was my worst year. It I was. lost my dad. I got divorced. Oh. I, you know, and it took a while to come back to get, from that. How did, but how did you get out? Because I'm always curious how people get out of holes. <sighs> One really awkward step yeah. at a time, yeah. I think. I mean, it was, it was not pretty. It was not a pretty process. And there was a lot of, you know, my kids were hurting. Yeah. And 
I got fired. I mean, there was a lot of stuff from Money Magazine. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was going on. They said it was, you know, a downsizing. It's, you know, a downsizing is just another word for getting fired. Yeah. You know, I stayed on today and that was great. But yeah, there was a lot of awful stuff happening. To me, life either it seems to happen all good things at once or all bad. It's like an avalanche of bad. And it's how it, it sort of shows you who you are. Yeah. I didn't realize you had all that stuff happen at once. All at once. Was there one pillar still standing or was it all? Work was work, basically yeah. the pillar still yeah. standing. And my kids, you know, because you've got to be strong for your kids. But work was basically the pillar still standing. And I realized that I had been backdooring it as an entrepreneur while I was doing this day job. And I was just going to build a business. And so, you know, with today as the cornerstone that's basically what i did and took on Built some clients and some and so now now her money is part of that little enterprise and yeah and you, uh, you know got found a nice guy got married all that kind of you know how, and it comes along and it and it happens just like it's happening to you and i think it is like during that period in there when you feel like it's dark in here and i can't see out and i i can't see through the weeds It's so, because we've all been in there and you don't see the end. And it's so funny now when I look back at those days and I remember what it felt like and I remember scribbling in my journal and writing God knows what. I mean, I went back and read it. I was like, if anyone ever read my journals, they would think I was like suicidal every single day. And I wasn't, but I was. But when you let out the darkest parts of your heart on on paper and how you're feeling about, about all that loss... And by the way, you stop caring about anything. Well, that's what I remember you telling me, and I think the world in one of your books, about the conversation that you had with Jeff Zucker after cancer, Yeah, where you decided that you wanted a completely different work life. Yeah. Cancer made you really brave. You know, it's so funny because I would have, whenever I've I heard people say my illness helped me or my this. I remember kind of cringing a little because it seemed weird. And I thought, oh, gosh, that's, you know, I would almost like sort of stiff arm somebody like I didn't even want to hear that story. But I do remember when I was at home and it was after I had had the surgery and after the prognosis and all that stuff. And I had heard the words like, you know, it doesn't look good for children and all like everything was crashing down. And I thought to myself, Oh my God. And then all of a sudden I realized like, this is the worst of it. Like I'm looking in the lion's mouth right now. Like Mm -hmm. this is as bad as it's going to get. And I remember sort of having an epiphany and I remember four words popped into my head and the words were, you can't scare me. And I remember thinking like, I'm still standing like he left the, you know, your body sort of failed you. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh. And it was around that time they were starting a new hour of today, the fourth hour. Yeah. And I remembered thinking, I'm going to do something I've never done. Cause I was never the person who raised their hand and said, I'm good. Pick me, put me in coat. I was always the one who was like in the corner working really hard. I'm like, oh, they'll notice me. Look yeah. at me. Yeah. Here I am. Clickety clack working over here. And I thought, oh, why don't we give her a raise? Look at her sitting in the corner. I just thought they'd look at your work and say, okay, your work should equal what you're, what we're going to pay you. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> and I remember thinking, not today. Like, not, I'm not going to be that girl today. 
and I felt fearless for probably one of the first times in my life because I'm always kind of like I'm a pleaser. I don't want to if you know, I don't I'm not good at asking for things. And I walked up into uh, Jeff Zucker's office on the 51st or 52nd floor and he and I walked in. I was like, hey, Jeff. I just know you're starting this new hour of today and you know, you can't scare me and I got this thing and I know I'd be right for it. And he was looking at me like, who the hell are you? A, B, aren't you the one who who's on Dateline doing those stories that are like nothing like what this hour is going to be? And I remember I said it all and walked out and my chest was out and I, my back was straight and I didn't know if he heard me or even knew it. You know, I'm sure people must go in and out of his office all the time. I didn't know, but I, I didn't care. Like I felt like I did it. And I remember weeks later, I had some producers who were pulling for me for that job. I got a call from Steve Kappas and he said, can you come to my office? And I said, this is either really good or really bad. And I walked in and he said, congratulations, you're going to be hosting the fourth hour of today. And I remember just looking, going like, Oh my, like not in my wildest imagination was that going to be happening. And I remembered thinking if I hadn't have been sick, I wouldn't have been brave enough. Has it made you brave in other aspects of, of your life? I mean, we were talking before we started taping about the Hillary Clinton interview uh, yeah. with yeah. Um, Matt and Savannah when yeah. her book came out yeah. and how she made the point that when women stand up and ask and put themselves forward as leaders in the workplace, people don't like us anymore. Yeah. I thought that was really poignant and interesting when she said that because she was describing when she was secretary of state, she was in a job of service to mm-hmm. the country. And she, she said her approval rating was in the sixties or seventies. I don't remember very high, whatever it was because she was in service to the president, to the country, to whatever. And then when you start, and I'm sure there are a lot of female CEOs who who will attest to this, when you start leading, people like you less. The more you are, the less you're liked. And she was saying it was the total opposite for male leaders. When they get out in front, you're like cheering them on. I sort of, I was thinking about other CEOs, and even women in our business. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you get too big, then all of a sudden they're like, ugh. Now look at well she's changed oh look at her and you're like well wait she's qualified she's smart she's smarter than she was yesterday and she's you know she's doing the job she's doing the job she's doing it well and somehow there is a too big for your britches or something's wrong somehow they're looking yep. for flaws or to pull you down I thought that was such a salient point uh, for women. In everywhere. Our industry, everywhere, in any industry. And I mean, think about women you've worked for who've climbed the ladder and think about, you know, how they're viewed. Yeah. And how the communities that they build around them either become really supportive yes. or really not. Yeah. I wonder if it, is it the person, like, do you think it's because there are certain people with certain management styles that you were attracted to or? I think there are two types of women in the workforce. I think there are women who want to mentor other women. And I think there are women who feel like I paid every single one of my dues to get here and you're going to do the same thing. Yes. Oh yeah. You climb, you, yeah, you walk through the snow for five miles to school. Because I did. You know who I think stands out as a leader in that world? I don't know if you met her, Bonnie Hammer. She heads up so much of NBC. Yeah. She is one of those people who is a mentor. She is in charge. 
She is empathetic. She is opinionated. She listens, but she knows what she wants. And people are dying to work for her because she's all of that. She's the kind of person who will give her seat up to a, a person on her team just so they have a place to sit. But everybody knows who's driving the bus and it's Bonnie. And I think there are certain people's management styles who I just fall for. I think, wow, yeah. I would love to work for that. I don't know her, but I'm going to make a point to meet her. By the way, you're like her. Oh. You guys are similar. Yeah. Before we go on, I just want to remind everyone, Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity is focused on helping women like all of us take charge of our financial lives because we deserve to live the lives that we work so hard for. So Visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one with Hoda. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married or divorced or adopting a baby. And again, that is fidelity.com slash it's time. I want to go back to you mm-hmm. and money for oh. a few minutes. <laughs> okay. The very first story I wrote when I went to Smart Money Magazine years and years and years ago was about a couple adopting a baby, Mm. and it was a financial roller coaster. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you, and do you have any tips or advice for other women who want to do the same thing? It is a costly process, which I sort of knew going in. And I mean, I feel blessed that I'm at a place in my life where I can do that now. I think five years ago, it would have been much, much harder. But I do think, and also people also recommend doing like multi-pronged approaches because you don't really know, look, you know, your child is sleeping under the same moon and stars as you are. You just don't know where he or she is. Yeah. So you want to open up every possible avenue to finding that child making sure that it works. But I remembered when I was figuring out the costs of all these things, people have to check out your home. You have to fly places and sometimes meet and see people. They have to do lots of interviews with you to make sure you qualify in every way. They ask you very intimate questions like, it sounds kind of weird, but they asked me things like, when you had the flu, how did your, or a cold, how did your parents comfort you? And I was like, huh? I was like, uh, did they did they give you Kleenexes and stuff like that? Did they did they nurture you physically? Did they what did they do? They wanted to comb through everything. How did your parents discipline you? What if wow. did, was there ever anything you did? Do you remember ever being spanked? What was that like? What would you do if your child right now grabbed a can of Raid? What was the first like? Literally going through scenarios so it combs through. One, your past, you know, what your relationship was like with your father, your mother. So it's an emotional ride, which I knew it kind of it would be. I just didn't know how deeply people would delve into all of your shadows and everything. And then in addition to it, in order for things to work, you have the agency, you know, it costs a lot to Number one, to do all the checks. Number two, to go through everything that you have to go through in terms of you have to check your police record. You have to get that. There are all sorts of things I didn't realize you'd have to get. And that's all before the baby arrives, which is when everything really starts happening. I always think about my parents and other people with, I had, I only had three, uh, one brother, one sister, just the three of us, but how somehow it all gets done. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and how when you have little, sometimes you savor it. I mean, I remember when my parents were with us, we, we, we didn't, I mean, look, they were very great and generous to us, but I remembered we did not have excess. Like we always had one thing we played with. Yeah. And we didn't No, I, I grew up much the same way. I mean, my parents were, my dad was a college professor, my yeah. mom a teacher in and out of the workforce. And, um, and my dad did well later on, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And I don't even remember, like, uh, you know, I just remember being happy and, and those kind of things. So I was thinking about, you know, as daunting as it is when you're thinking with a baby and all the things you need, because I was like, uh, and all of a sudden they call you and say, they tell you that the baby's coming. You're like, oh my gosh. I was like, I don't have a crib. Like, where do you put this? Like, <laughs> I didn't know what, but all of a sudden you realize a all works. these things. I know. And I got a rock and play, which was awesome. I plugged that thing in. And Haley just snoozed, and all I had to do was buy some formula and and diapers and just look at her. Amazing. Along the way, I'm asking people these days, did you have a financial wake-up call at all? Was there a moment where you ever thought, I have to get my finances together? Yeah, I was in most of the jobs I worked I was like making government cheese money. Like I would, I knew that even with the check, I couldn't do everything. I couldn't pay. Like I had rent. I had, you know, the things that you have. And I remembered thinking like, I'm never going to be able to make ends meet because in those jobs, you know, you live in, in small places, but it's difficult. Yeah. And I remembered cutting corners everywhere. And I remembered my sister sending me like a hundred bucks in the mail. So I would get that and it would save me for yep. the next go through because I knew it wasn't, an, I wasn't really making enough. And I think, I mean, to be honest, I wasn't so organized with money. Like I didn't know how much I had in my checking account or I would pray when I would write a rent check, like, oh God, let this one go through. And then I would just hold my breath. And some days I felt like I'd look at my checking account and I was like, oh my God, I have 300 bucks. I'm rich. I didn't even know I had 300 bucks. <laughs> like I, I, I was, yeah. was always so astonished by it. And, and we didn't have online banking, no, by the way. I mean, no. we didn't, we were really waiting, waiting for things that, to yes, move. Waiting for the pink thing to come in. You're like, oh, and then the, you know, you had all these different charges. And I remembered thinking when I realized that I needed to be helping my mom too. I think that's probably when I kicked it into gear. I was like, you know what? You're not just doing for you now. You need to take care of, you know, my dad had passed and Mm -hmm. I was, so I realized that I had to make sure I had my ducks in a row, you know, and I would remember I would, you know, send something to my mom and she would call me crying. Like she, you know, you knew she needed it. And I didn't, and all of a sudden from then on, I was like, okay, like let's, let's clean this house up a little bit and let's try to make sure your ducks are in a row. Well, you are. You're one of my favorites. You just, I just love you. So thank you for I doing this. I love you this. too, June. Thank you. Okay. Kelly has joined me, and we are just FYI back in our own studio now. It's not actually our own studio. It's Charles de Montebello's studio. We we record this show at, at a place called CDM, which is in a really, really cool building on the west side of Manhattan. And uh, and Charles is a lovely host to be Always. sitting with. It and feels like home. It does. It does. So we're sitting in our home studio, and Kelly's with me. How much fun was that? You know I'm a big Hoda fan. Yeah. Well, what's not to love? What's not to love? She exudes so much positive energy. You feel like you're being embraced with a warm hug in her presence. Mm -hmm. I hope 
that people feel that way all the time. All the time. That's what we're going for yeah. here. All right. So let's let's answer some questions. What yes. do we have? Our first question is from Jeanette, who has done all of the right things after the recent Equifax credit breach, but is still unsure about what to do with her bank accounts. Okay. She writes, I'm concerned that my bank accounts could be taken advantage of now. I monitor them like a hawk, but it still doesn't seem like enough. Am I overreacting if I reach out to my bank to cancel all of my credit and bank account information and ask to receive new account numbers? Is that peace of mind or a step too far? I don't really think it's necessary. Um, and here's what I know, and it's one of those facts about identity theft that we probably don't think about often enough. Online banking is actually a really good preventative measure when it comes to being a victim of identity theft. Because if someone were to gain access to your bank account and go in and pull out some money, maybe by using your debit card fraudulently, your bank has a zero liability policy as far as that money is concerned. And so you'll get the money back. It may take a couple of weeks to get the money back because the trail of breadcrumbs that they have to follow can be significant, and you have to alert them that this has actually happened. So I would say, you know, it's an okay thing to do if you're really, really worried. Ask them to issue you new debit cards. That's the primary thing. But as long as you're in your accounts pretty much every day, and it sounds like you are, if something is going wrong, you're going to be able to shut it down very quickly. And that's the goal. And in addition to getting the fraud alerts, you can also get alerts for just any transaction, right? Like nowadays, yeah. you can get alerts for when your card isn't present and it's used and I think just about Yeah, anything. no, that's actually a really, really good point. You can sign up with most banks to be alerted of transactions of particular sizes, of all transactions, of transactions where your card is not present. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you should do those things as well. Okay. And we'll do one more from Julie this week. She writes, I'm a librarian and I'm in charge of buying books and such for the library's collection. I use a company credit card, but it is in my name. Does this card have any impact on my own personal credit history and or report? If so, how? Well, you should check your credit report and see if this card is showing up. If it is showing up, then the payment history for this card will also be affecting your credit history. And you're going to want to be more vigilant about whether your boss or whoever pays the bill is paying that bill on time. Because if it is showing up and they're not paying on time, it could actually hurt your credit. But what you do want to understand is what's the liability that you're potentially facing if it does exist. So yet another reason, as we talked with Frank Abagnale about, to make sure that you are pulling your credit reports and not just your credit scores on a regular basis. And again, you do that at annualcreditreport.com. Thank you, Jean. Thank you, Kelly. And thank you all for those great questions. We love the questions, so keep them coming. You can reach us on Twitter, on Facebook at jeanchatsky.com. And now as we head into our weekly Thrive segment, so it's been a couple of weeks since the hurricanes hit first Texas and then Florida. Of course, the Caribbean was involved as well. We've been receiving a number of emails from our listeners about how you can make sure that your donations are going to the most effective places. 
Charity Navigator, which is a charity watchdog organization, has compiled two lists of top-rated charities to donate to, one for Hurricane Harvey, one for Hurricane Irma. Both lists feature some 60 names with some crossover of organizations that have been vetted by Charity Navigator on both financials and transparency and have designated donations for disaster relief and have a stated specific plan for how they intend to aid those people who are impacted by the disaster. If you want to do some more digging on your own, Give.org is another watchdog organization. They also vet charities, and it's a good idea to look up a charity's address and phone number, plus call that charity and specifically ask any questions that you might have. Unfortunately, it seems like big disasters like these are going to keep on coming. We all have a limited pool of money to give. And of course, you want to make sure that that money is doing its very best work. So thanks for the questions. I hope that answers them. If it doesn't, send us more. And thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Hoda Kotb for a terrific conversation. We loved having her and hope to have her back soon. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We want to know what you think. Of course, we want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And join us next week. This is a fun one. We will be back with Kat and Nat. They call each other the moms. And uh, put your hair in a messy bun and get ready to sit down for a fun conversation. We'll talk soon. Music.